and welcome back to the Path Forward podcast. My name is Brandon, the usual host for this interview, but today I have an exciting announcement, which is that starting in the new year, Savi, who has been our social media chair, and you know she runs our awesome Instagram account and our website and things of that nature, she is going to take over as the host. So I'll absolutely still be on with the roundtables and maybe doing some odd interviews here and there, but we're super excited to start a little transition towards our younger generation. But without further ado, I'm very excited to welcome Chloe Young, who is a junior at the British International School of Chicago. Um, she is a very passionate intersectional environmentalist, and we'll learn more about that in a moment. But most importantly for today, she is a co-executive director of the Eco Circle International, which is a nonprofit working towards proving, providing education on the environmental crisis and mobilizing youth to organize sustainable initiatives around the globe. Welcome to the show, Chloe. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited. Yeah, so this concept right off the bat is is so interesting to me, which is intersectional environmentalism. And that's something that we've heard a little bit about, you know, how the environment is not just the environment, but it affects other things in our lives. But could you give us a brief definition of what you think in intersectional environmentalism is? Yeah, so I think intersectional environmentalism, it's really an inclusive form of environmentalism that focuses on the protection of the people and the planet. So it really just looks at the way that the environmental crises intersects, I like to say everything, Mm -hmm. because in some way, shape or form, the environmental crisis does affect everything. So it just, I mean, there are a lot of intersections I know we're going to talk about today, like with global health with environmental racism, these are all kind of examples of how environmentalism is so intersectional. Absolutely. So why don't we talk about that last thing you just mentioned, which is global health. And, you know, I don't think you've probably heard this a million times by now, but of course, with the COVID world we're in, global health is at the front of everyone's mind. And so just walk us through right now, especially with the COVID-19 crisis, how has um, global health, you know, taken a new spot in the spotlight in terms of environmental issues? So with COVID-19, I think we've really seen how disproportionate the effects of COVID are. And obviously this is attributed to a lot of different factors, but one of them is air pollution. So for example, in America, African-Americans are three times more likely to die of air pollution than the overall U.S. population. And I think in, in Chicago specifically, we saw the dramatic effects of like how where people live can impact like airborne diseases and the effects that they can have. So the first 70 out of 100 COVID deaths in Chicago were black men. And as I said before, like this is due to a lot of factors, but one of them is the environmental crisis. Um, So that's really where I've kind of seen a lot of links and it definitely does link in a bunch of different ways, but it's really caused COVID-19 to be so disproportionate in its effects. Absolutely. And I guess this is maybe a little bit of a chicken and egg debate, but which do you think comes first or is it at the foremost thing that we should address? Is it like the environmental air pollution side of it? Is it the racist nature of, you know, some housing policies, residential policies, which comes first or what should we address? Or I'm sure maybe there's a combination of both in there too. Yeah. I was about to say, I think it is a combination of both because you really can't have like if you just address one thing, then you're still going to have the other as the problem, right? Um, so I definitely think both. I think with COVID especially, um, just looking at air pollution is a big thing, and that also links to how important renewable energy is for numerous reasons. 
Um, but no, I definitely think you really do have to look at both. You have to look at housing and kind of linking back to Chicago again. I think Chicago really is one of the most segregated cities in the world. I mean, sometimes it feels like there, I know how awful this is to say, and unfortunately it feels like the truth. It feels like there's a line and we really see like dramatic differences in air quality kind of on either side of this line. And that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And how do you think it can be addressed? Cause uh, I think most people would probably agree with you that, you know, such a line exists and that's a, that's a problem, but what's the way to do it when considering all of the economic issues at, at stake, all the social issues, you know, all of the above, what's a good solution? What does that involve? Um, I think, okay, there's no like one answer to this, right? Mm-hmm. And so much needs to be done on every level from individuals to the government to corporations. It really requires a group effort in order for change to be made. And like hopefully in the coming future, like new environmental regulations can be put in place, which can help corporations and um, switch to renewable energy, which I think will make a huge difference, especially because like solar energy at the moment, I mean, there are so many different benefits to solar energy. and. I mean, of course, like, let's say you replace a fossil fuel plant in the south side of Chicago with a solar energy plant. The amount of like, differences that this will cause in the neighborhood is incredible because, firstly, it's not emitting fossil fuels. Secondly, it creates loads of jobs. Like, already the solar industry employs more people in the U.S. than the entire fossil fuel industry, and it accounts for, like, around 2% of our energy. And these are much better jobs as well. I mean, if you just think about the difference of working at a fossil fuel plant and then with solar energy for the actual workers, it would improve so much. Um, So yeah, sorry, I kind of deferred from the question. Mm -hmm. Um, But back to the question a bit, I think it really does require everyone. And it also requires environmental education amongst individuals Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, like the individuals are the consumers. Individuals do have the power and environmental education really is key for changes to be made. I love that. I love that. And I, I love that you deferred from the question because I'm going to ask you a follow-up to that tangent, I guess, because like you said, intersectional environmentalism kind of leads us on these tangents anyway, so we might as well embrace it. And I think the question I'm going to ask is you talked about the jobs that um, solar panel companies or solar panel plants might bring in terms of like, you know, to a neighborhood, which is important. But you also say that those are better jobs. And so a big thing that we're seeing now is like, um, you know, in the transition to jobs and the economy, you know, I don't want to talk too much of it because it's not really my area of expertise. But I guess my main question where I'm going with this is, are the skills that you need for a solar power plant job, are they transferable from what people are doing now with, you know, the skills that they have working in the, the jobs that they have now? Is it transferable or is that does that require extra training or how does that work? That's a really great great question, and to be honest, I don't fully know the answer, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I will definitely look into that, though. Um, but I would say, like, I doubt, I mean, there's definitely going to be some different skills. Like, that's for sure. Um, but I don't think it's, like, impossible for the people to learn these skills. Like, I doubt the skills are that extreme where, like, it requires other knowledge, I guess, mm-hmm. um, or, like, too much. But, yeah, I'm not completely sure, to mm-hmm. be honest. But either way, of course, and that's that's the meat of what we're going to get into today, teaching skills about jobs or just learning about the environment in general requires some degree of education. And so I want to know a little bit more about your, your organization, um, Eco Circle 
international about what you guys are doing for um, educating, you know, people, whether it's youth in the community or maybe even adults, what are you doing? And let's just start with a global health crisis. What do you hope to do or what are you doing now for this education? Yeah, so at the moment, one of our big education platforms is our Instagram because at least for me personally, sometimes like I'll read about something on an Instagram post and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So then I do further research. But a lot of times, the first time I hear about something can be through Instagram. So we actually recently did a post specifically about air pollution and we have a part two coming this week. Um, nice. So that's like one platform that we're using a lot. And like at the end of those posts, we always do try and provide some resources for additional information. And we try and emphasize also like don't only listen to us because there's such a range of information all over the internet. And like, even if things can be similar, it's not always the same. And there's obviously like loads of issues with reliability of data. And we try and be as reliable and as unbiased as we can, but there is an element of bias within everything mm-hmm. so we really do encourage people to kind of find something that interests them and then go away from it and look at a variety of sources um so that's one kind of platform we use another one is our podcast so we are talking to a bunch of different influential people we have reached out to a few people who focus on global health for example different professors and hopefully we'll get some episodes with them up soon We also have a blog on our website, Um, so we have different articles on there. Um, I believe we actually have some on global health at the moment, specifically in Chicago, um, and we would like to get some more up there. And then our fellowship, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. Certainly. So since you brought up the idea of media and how that can be used to educate, let's dive right into that. And so um, something, an issue that you brought up right away, which I think is really interesting, is the reliability of information that you see on social media. And I, I know, you know, as an Instagram user myself, along with in a, in a world of teens who are using Instagram and some are very activist teens for good reason, I see lots of posts that are like, this. there's this issue in the world, here are the facts about it. How much can we trust posters like that, especially when you see them being distributed so widely, if that makes sense? I mean, it's so difficult to be honest because even if these people have good intentions, they think that they're facts, sometimes they aren't. Unfortunately, that's just like the way it is. So with Instagram where anyone can put out any information with the click of a button, it's very difficult. I mean, something I do sometimes, I just check the comments because typically if a post is like completely false or something, people will be like going off about it in the comment section. Mm. So if I'm like not sure, I will either look it up or look in the comments. And if I'm not sure from that, then I'll just look it up. Um, I mean, again, even if you look it up, I guess there can be some issues too. Um, So I guess just like finding a variety of sources saying the same thing is normally important. And yeah, it is really difficult though. That's actually a great lesson regardless of, you know, I know we're talking about environmentalism, but uh, that's a great lesson regardless because to check and, and see that whatever is being posted is is valid is always a good thing to have. And I know you talked about how you guys tried to find the most credible information available. Um, and, and what do you mean by, do, do or how do you take that extra step, I guess I should say, to making sure that your information is credible and accurate? So first we'll always look at the source, right? Because we don't want to be on some extremely biased website that has like, that's known for that. So we'll make sure it's a source that either we've heard of or that is credible based on like what we read about it. And then typically I'll also just like 
look it up and see if I can find similar things from a few sources. And then if I can get that generalizability where a few sources are agreeing, then, and also like if I know from my prior knowledge, I use that as well, if it seems accurate. And then I kind of just combine that. And also when we do our Instagram posts, for example, so like, let's say I plan one, I have the other executive director, Georgia Scar, she'll normally go over it before we send it to the graphic designer. So we have both of us checking, both of us going over everything. Then the graphic designer, who's also, her name's Ava Jarami, she's, an, she's incredible, and she'll check information as well. So we have multiple people kind of going through it um, to try and ensure we don't put out anything false. That's beautiful. I love that. Love that. Teamwork-based dreamwork, huh? And uh, one more thing about this, this part of the media, which is, uh, I know you talked about sorting through for bias. And so the environment is one of those issues which falls obviously on, on a certain part of the political spectrum. It tends to be, you know, liberals tend to focus on that more than conservatives. And so naturally, is any source about the environment slightly leaning left? Is that, do you, do you worry about that bias at all? Or how, or how do you seek to mitigate that if you are worried about it? Yeah, I definitely do worry about it. I guess even from like both sides in a way, you know, mm -hmm. because obviously there's different, I mean, I don't, I, I understand like it is typically a more left issue. Mm -hmm. That is, that definitely makes sense. Um, But like, I don't love like political boxes, but I definitely think it needs to be taken account for with everything. Right. Um, But like, yeah, I know. We just try, we try and find unbiased news sources as it's very difficult right now. Sure, it's, sure. I think the, like, politics in America, especially right now, is so heightened and so emotional and everyone's uh -huh. so, like, so emotionally attached <laughs> right, to it. Right, right, right. Um, so that can be hard. Um, but, I mean, even sometimes if you can find, like, with the environment, it's science, right? Right. Climate change is science. At the end of the day, those are facts. Like, climate change is happening. Climate change will continue unless we do something about it so if we can find scientific websites especially right that's always a good thing right peer-reviewed journals i'm sure that you you go into also i'm sure you know though they have facts that like you say facts are the facts right they're not really up for debate i guess in a in a certain sense um fantastic so i really love now that we talked a little bit about your approach to making sure the information you put out there is good and then let's talk about that reach part of it so that's the second part the first part is making sure you have good content right and the second part is putting that out there. So what does your team do to make sure that you can reach a large audience with your um, with your social media posts, for example? So one thing, this kind of links to what we're talking about, we make sure that what we put out isn't partisan. We try and make our posts as inclusive and as, like, as little, we don't want it to be polarizing, right? Mm -hmm. Because to us, at least, the environment needs to be something that everyone is kind of involved in, right? It can't just be the left it's not that type of issue. It does require participation from everyone. So we try and make sure that everything we put out is inclusive and doesn't make anyone feel like we're attacking them because that's never our aim. We're never trying to say, oh, you're living your life badly. Do this now, right? Because we understand how difficult change is and the way like people using plastic for everything, that has been normal. And we need to understand that. And I've kind of noticed that with older generations, especially, they've grown up doing these things. Right. So change is difficult. Change is really hard. So when we put out information in order to make sure as many people can like read it and understand it as possible, we try and explain things and try and not make it seem like an attack. I would mm -hmm. say those are the main things because we're not attacking anyone. Right. That makes perfect sense. Um, and let's talk about some of the other forms of media that you have now, blog and podcast. So 
as a podcast you know host and creator myself i'm a big fan of podcasts i think that's a great medium to distribute information what have you learned as uh you know from hosting your own podcast about what it means to communicate information through this medium um i've definitely learned a lot we just started our podcast like a month or two ago Mm -hmm. so we're still learning more um but i've definitely loved how it's just like a casual conversation right because we've done interviews in the past and like written articles based on those interviews but i mean firstly george and i didn't love watching through interviews and writing it we thought it was a very tedious process Mm -hmm. so we were like okay we knew something about that um so I like that with podcasts, it really is like an open dialogue and open conversation. I found that I've learned so much through that and learned so much about different people. Like last week, we even interviewed this guy who is traveling from Alaska to Argentina in a solar powered van. All and right. I, like, I've learned so much about him and it, there was a lot of tangents, which I quite enjoy, right? Because oh, yeah. like you're talking and you get somewhere interesting. But with interviews, it was more like we had specific points. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think, one thing about podcasts. I'm very big on hearing people's stories personally. Right. Like, that's just something I've always loved doing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a big talker myself, mm-hmm. but I also <laughs> am a big listener. Right. Um, so I think the podcast has really allowed me to open my mind to different perspectives, different people's stories from around the world. And that's the thing I've learned the most. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. You know, my favorite thing about podcasts is for sure getting into the stories that you don't really hear about. And I love that story that you just mentioned. That's definitely never something that I would have imagined. Um, or, you don't, you know, when you hear about the facts, right, it's like, oh, for example, like you said, um, well, I forgot some of the facts that you said already, which is bad. But in either event, you know, there are these facts and the facts don't always hit the same as hearing a story, an anecdotal piece of evidence about something that can really convince you. And that's why I love especially podcasting as a way to like, convince people to make social change because I think the stories really come out there but then there's also the blog that you guys run which is obviously written so it's a little bit different how do you approach that in a different way than your podcasting or your social media um so for the blogs a lot of times we find that it's almost an extension of our Instagram right goes into more detail on everything we have a, a huge range of articles from like overfishing to like environment within the navy to this guy um, from England who calls himself an, an ethical carnivore. So he only eats meat that he hunts himself. All right. Which is very, definitely suggest reading that post. Okay. I was very intrigued. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I mean, I definitely love the blog and also it's open to a lot more people to write because you can just submit a form on our website and write for the blog. We, and like, we'll just have people like DMing us or approaching us saying, hey, can I write something? So it really is a way to get a lot more people on um to write something about that they're passionate about um but i mean i feel like i do so much writing in school anyway to be honest i'm not a huge writer for the Mm -hmm. blog just because i'm like i I prefer talking right um so yeah but i definitely think a lot of people really like it and it's a great way to learn more information Mm -hmm. so as a consumer now that now that we've put out three different types you know social media uh blogs and podcasts which do you prefer as a, like, a listener, just a reader or whatever yourself? What do you prefer? Um, I personally prefer podcasts. I love podcasts. Um, like I'll listen to them on walks and everything. And I find that I learn a lot now to retain a lot more information. Um, I do like Instagram when it comes to learning new things. Because normally I'll click on a podcast when it's something that like I know a bit about. But I'm like, oh, it'd be interesting to learn more. 
right. versus Instagram, it can be something completely new. And that's where I find out, find out about it. And it's not a huge commitment because mm-hmm. with the podcast too, you know, depending on the link, it can be a commitment. Right. Absolutely. So normally it's something that I'm already a bit interested in. Exactly. Um, but I would say those two are probably my favorites. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I, I, I totally agree with you, right? Instagram is a great way of like, especially when you have people who follow, that you follow that have different interests. It's a great way to see something that you've never thought about before and then explore that further with blogs, reading blogs or reading podcasts. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And if you're interested in, in, in all of their work, that's all going to be linked below in the show notes. So definitely check out their podcast. Uh, and also that ethical carnivore piece, definitely check that out because I think that's going to be absolutely interesting. I know that's what I'm going to read after this is over. And so now let's talk about a totally different way that you guys are doing your education, which is the fellowship. So what stuck out to me when I was looking at your website is this idea of a fellowship is usually either older people who are like, you know, like college age or beyond that who are doing, you know, huge research, or if it's a fellowship for teens, it's created by adults. And so this is kind of a fellowship for teens by teens type of thing. Is that right? So yeah, which is absolutely exciting. Can you talk us through why the fellowship, why call it that? And also why is that unique from other uh, programs or organizations that you might've seen? Definitely. So kind of how we came up with the idea. So it was maybe August and George and I had already been running our organization since March, actually maybe April because it took us about a month to come up with a name. Um, so after we decided on an organization, we've been running it for a while, but we realized we needed like something, right? We needed something a bit more focused that was like a concrete thing that we could say, like, okay, we do this, you know? Um, so we were brainstorming ideas and George and I, we, we love intersections. So we like looking at everything. So we didn't want to focus on like global health specifically because we wanted to focus on other things too. Mm-hmm. So we were having a board meeting and George and I kind of asked the team, like, how can we do this? And one of the board members said, what about a fellowship? Because I'd actually done a fellowship my freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. It was a gun violence prevention fellowship. And I loved that experience. And the other um, board member had done the same one. So then I was kind of like, wait, that's a great idea. Because we also didn't want to focus just on education. because we wanted some sort of change to be made, right? We didn't want to be the just talkers. We wanted mm-hmm. to be doers too. Right, right. Um, so that's kind of how we came up with the fellowship idea and we started focusing on like executing it and how we wanted to do it so that's kind of it's a five month long course i'll just kind of go into the details of right. that now um so the first two months specifically are focused on environmental education so we look at a range of issues we're planning the curriculum now from like human rights to circular economies to environmental engineering we really try and get a broad kind of like spectrum of issues covered. And then after we do that, we focus on leadership because George and I, we've been working within the activism space for since eighth grade, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, so we've had some experience, we've had plenty of failures um, and plenty of successes too. So we were thinking like, well, how can we kind of help some people avoid the failures, right? right? You right. know, I mean, you, I guess you do learn through experience and mm-hmm. I'll get on to how we let people do that next. Um, but in the leadership part, we kind of focus on the skills you need. Like, how do you motivate people? How do you get people involved and get other people excited? What skills do you need? And we're going to have leadership panels with existing youth and adult leaders. Um, so that month will focus on leadership. And then after that's the independent initiative. Because as I was just kind of saying, George and I have learned everything through experience. 
So we wanted to give the, um, all the fellows an experience too. So after they do the environmental education leadership, then they have to plan an, initi an initiative that's completely of their choosing. Mm -hmm. So let's say when we were doing the environmental education, they were super interested in the engineering side, then they can focus more on that in their independent initiative. And through that, they'll also get assigned a mentor who will be one of the ECI board members who can kind of just help them in whatever way that they need. Absolutely. And then that's kind of how we're going to be making change, right? Because we're helping other people make change if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many interesting ideas here to unpack. And the first one that comes to mind is this number one requires a great, so I have to compliment you guys for this level of maturity there. And then the, the flip side of that, or not the flip side of that, this is all positive, but the question to that is how does it feel to be teens creating opportunities like this for teens when usually if you think about like a like a, an amazing program like this one sounds, you think like it's some adult who has like 30 years of training in the education sector who's starting to do this, right? How does it feel to be a junior in high school running this program for your fellow teens? I mean, it's weird. I'm not going to lie because sometimes I'm like, what? You know, because I just started this in March. And even though I have been working in the activism space, right. it was really just on a school level. Mm -hmm. um, so we made a lot of changes in our school to make it more environmentally friendly and focus more on social justice. Um, but it's definitely weird. Like, I I looked myself up the other day for the first time. <sighs> I've never done that. I was like, you know, let's see if anything shows up. And stuff actually showed up. And I was like, that is so weird. Like, All I right. Know. Um, I mean, I guess I was supposed to like Instagram, but like, it's a bit different, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's definitely odd, but I think it's also nice in a way because we're a lot more relatable, right? Like right. if a 35 year old telling me how to lead, I'll be like, well, here's the thing. I also have four tests a week. I also am 16 years old. Like this right. doesn't work, right? right? right. So I guess like we are a lot more understanding to the limitations and I guess benefits of being a teen, right? Because right? I guess you can utilize that youth voice and mm -hmm. use it to your advantage in a way. Mm -hmm. And so can you give me an example of what type of initiatives you're hoping to see out of the independent aspect of it? Um, yeah, just any examples would be great of what you're hoping might come out of that. I mean, we'd love to see a range of initiatives. Right. Um, what I'm hoping to see. Um, I definitely think some like big and unique ideas, right? Mm -hmm. And that gets the community involved. Um, ideally, it wouldn't be something like they just do. It would be a group thing. Like I know when I did the gun violence fellowship, we had to do like, an initiative sort of like this. Um, so I ended up kind of incorporating a school club into it, which ended up reaching like 40 people. All right. So I mean, ideally, I'd like to see people um, just really reaching a big audience and taking that ECI mentality of not being polarizing, of not being partisan, and, and really just making their initiative as inclusive as they can. I think that's really what I'd like to see. But I mean, for specific examples, I mean, I don't know. It could be something. could be anything, if right? If they're like interested in fast fashion, I know a lot of people are. Love they could do topic. some sort of like um event or like thrifting type thing or upcycling workshops are always mm. fun um yeah i don't know <laughs> and that's the beauty of it too i think that's why it's so awesome is because like you said the focus on um environmental or intersectional environmentalism that leads to so many possibilities that you know otherwise it's it might be a bunch of projects about how can we uh, you know, reduce food waste? How can we reduce habitat destruction? But now you see all the range of possibilities 
like fast fashion, which I love thinking about, or I'll just throw out one that I know of cellular agriculture, which is like growing meat in labs. And that that's what the ethical carnivore uh, blog reminded me of. And that's what I think is so awesome about your, your structure. How do you hope to roll it out to get the word really publicized um, so that you can have many people join? Cause this is an awesome program. Um, so, so far what we've been doing is like DMing organizations on Instagram that mm-hmm. we've kind of collaborated with in the past and new ones. Also just like emails. We've sent a lot of emails. Yes. Um, that's one way. And then people we know suggesting to friends. So obviously this is the first round of the fellowship in January. Um, so ideally like we'd like to get this one going and then after that really just try and expand it, even expand it globally because we have um, a bunch of like connections with environmental activists around the world who we've kind of briefly spoken to about starting like a fellowship in their region. So, mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, you know, in a year from now, maybe we'll have a few fellowships going on at once in different parts of the world. So Snatch that would be that. great as well. Mm-hmm. And so another question about the fellowship structure or about the logistics of it is kind of what happens long-term with it. So one of the benefits of being a 30 year old with this is that you don't have to graduate high school and then go off to college, right? You're, that's what you can do for a significant amount of time. And so now you're a junior, you'll be a senior next year and you're going to graduate and go off to do amazing things in college too. How do you plan on keeping this fellowship and this organization um, really up and going, maintaining that same spirit of teens working with teens? Oh, I have George and I have been talking about this really, what are we going to do? Um, <laughs> So, so right now, our organization is ages 12 to 20. Mm-hmm. So let's say next year, we're like, we're not really ready to give it up. I guess we can keep it till 20. Um, but then after that, I think we'd really like to pass it on to some teens. So hopefully we get some like current eighth graders or freshmen now joining the fellowship. And then maybe they want to apply to be on the team after. And ideally, I mean, we see something in them and then they take over because we do want to keep it a youth-led organization um, regardless of how emotionally attached we are to it. Um, so yeah, I think going forward, we really just would want to pass it on and hopefully through the fellowship, we can find really cool people who want to do that. Absolutely. You know, this is a question I ask everyone to, uh, who comes on this show because we're all teens and most of the people I interview are juniors and seniors. And so I always ask about the sustainability of their initiatives long run because um, I think that's such an important component, right? It's not just what you do now, but especially if you're running a program like your like yours, it's what you do after you graduate to make sure that it keeps going. It seems like you have a really good plan in place because I'm sure, and I saw on your website, the planning that you have done for your fellowship already, that structure in place is going to be easily transferable to whoever else wants to take up that, that role of being the next Chloe. Exactly. So that's awesome to hear. And uh, we're actually almost out of time. It's been a fantastic conversation. So I just wanted to open up the space for you. Any last parting thoughts about any of the things we talked today? Talked about today. You know, using the media or your fellowship program to educate about the environment. Any other clothing closing thoughts? Um, I would just say, like, if anyone who's listening to this hasn't really gotten involved with environmental work or has but hasn't found that spark. Um, definitely do a bit more research into it because like I said initially the environmental crisis intersects with everything whether you love fashion you love technology you anything really um, mm-hmm. there is some sort of intersection with it and then going forward in the future we'll see sustainability as being a much bigger priority in jobs in everyday life really so 
I would say kind of find your passion within the umbrella of the environmental crisis. It's yeah. really important. And finding your passion, you know, because you don't want to work towards something you don't care about. Right. That will never go well. Love it. I love it. And for anyone that's wondering who wants to apply to this amazing program or wants to check out any of the related information, that's all going to be linked down in the show description. And if you want to get in contact with Chloe, I think that'll be through their website too. Um, but we'll, we'll put all that information down below so you can go check that out. And you should absolutely check it out based on um, everything that she shared about her awesome program. So Chloe, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really love talking to you today. Um, I, and I learned so much about how to approach education through media and uh, with this fantastic program that you're running. So thanks for enlightening us a little bit here at the Path Forward. Thank you so much for having me. This has been super fun. Yeah, so, absolutely. Like yeah. you said, podcasts are just casual conversations. Exactly. And this definitely felt like that, which I really enjoyed. So thanks so much. Yeah, and I'm honored to be on your last podcast episode. <laughs> yes. And hopefully many more to come with Savi and co uh, heading the hosting, leading the hosting, I should say. So excited about that. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Path Forward. Next week, Savi will be in the interview chair, which is very exciting. Um, It'll be a new voice. Hopefully you guys aren't tired of mine yet. So anyways, we'll be turning it over to Subby. It'll be exciting. And thanks so much again, Chloe, for joining me on the show today.